Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is the program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co and follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As always, stay tuned until the end where we're going to share an exciting opportunity, and please feel free to share this with others who will also find it of interest. So today, we're speaking shortly after the formation of a new government in Israel, which has its uh, has in many ways around the world raised con- uh, controversies in some cases that really aren't there. The UN is taking on an additional anti-Israel narrative, and average people around the world are subject to a a barrage of bad news from Israel in the place that the good news was born and making Israel look wrong and lacking perspective and nuance, and in many cases, facts. Josh Reinstein is at the front line um, as a unique pioneer of and leader in faith-based diplomacy. And we're going to speak about that today and how Josh and through the Knesset Christian Allies uh, Caucus and the Israel Allies Foundation, of which Josh serves as president and director of respectively, right, Josh? Yes. Okay. Um, Is is leading the charge. Josh has been the, the head of the Christian Allies Caucus here in Israel since January of 2004. Josh is also the producer and founder of a very, very popular TV show, Israel Now News, which is a half-hour weekly news magazine that is broadcast to millions of viewers around the world. Josh is the author of the best-selling book, Titus, Trump, and the Triumph of Israel, and he owns and operates JSR International Marketing, a international marketing and investment firm based here in Israel. Josh grew up in Dallas, Texas, and in Toronto, Canada. He's the graduate of the University of Western Ontario, where he earned a degree in political science. And after moving to Israel, he served as a tank gunner in the elite 188 unit of the Israeli Defense Forces Armored Corps. He currently lives in a suburb of Jerusalem with his wife, Rebecca, and four children. Now, all of that's incredible, but one of the things I always love seeing about Josh is he's always recognized um, on a regular basis as one of truly one of the most influential uh, Jews in the world. And most recently, accordingly, Josh was recognized as one of the top 50 most influential Jews by the Jerusalem Post. Josh, um, it's truly long overdue since I wanted to have this conversation, but I think it's timely and I'm really glad to have you. Welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Thank you for being on, having me on the show. It's a pleasure. It's really a pleasure. So first, you know, before you've got a lot to share and there's a lot to unpack in just a, in a short period of time, but I always like to jump in your personal background. You grew up in Dallas and, and Toronto. Um, tell us about that, where you grew up, your family, and also what led you to come to Israel? Yeah, so I was born in uh, Toronto, Canada. When I was a year and a half old, I moved to Dallas, Texas. Uh, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and then moved back to Canada to uh, finish uh, high school and university. 
I made Aliyah, uh, moved to Israel in 1999. And I grew up in a Zionist household uh, where Israel was always at the center. It was important for, for me to come to Israel to do my military service and uh, to raise my family here. And to leave your family, you just said. No, to raise my family. Raise family. I, left, I left my family. I was a lone <laughs> soldier here in the army, so I left my parents. But I got married in Israel, and all four of my children were born in Israel. And, and for me, that's a that was a very important thing for me. That is it. When you came to Israel, you were single, right? Absolutely, yes. I came right after university uh, at 22 years old, and then I joined the military at 23. Uh, and then I got out of the military about a year and a half later. Well, we're going to have a conversation. I only got married when I was 29. So 29. So we're going to have a conversation about being lone soldiers in a week or two um, as well. But that's um, that's impressive. And I think probably an indication of why you're constantly recognized as the leader you are, because it takes a lot of uh, uh, resilience and a lot of um, fortitude to just pick up and come here on your own as somebody in your 20s and, and do what you did. So um as well, the say, army was actually a real blessing for me. You know, it, uh, the army is a, is a real education. Uh, I finished my university studies before the army, but I think uh, the army uh, gave me a lot of tools to to do the things that I do today. Work ethic, trying to be an example, um, and, and also just the fact that you appreciate your freedom a lot more uh, when you're in the military and you don't have freedom. That's uh, fascinating. So there's a lot of uh, good good things that came of it. That's fascinating. And you were you were in the tank corps. Were you in combat during your service? Yes, I actually um, joined the army about uh, 12 days before the second intifada started. So we were in the thick of it for my whole army unit. Um, I ended up um, serving and doing my advanced training in the north, but uh, I served in Gaza during my army uh, time. So that's interesting because you began your service at the beginning of the second intifada. I only made Aliyah at the very end of, of it, but we didn't know it was going to be the end then. Who knew? There wasn't a, a date stamped on it. Um, but that means you also finished your service close to the end as, as well. And shortly thereafter, you jumped in to establishing the uh, the Israel Allies Caucus at the Knesset. Is that correct? Well, there was an in-between where I worked in, in different capacities. I was the English language spokesperson for the city of Jerusalem, uh, I was the English language spokesperson for a political party, a small one called Israel Bigtano at the time. I worked with uh, Yuri Stern, Alava Shalom, uh, who passed away. And then um, with Yuri Stern, we established the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus in 2004. You know what? That's right. And I knew that. And I knew Yuri from my Soviet Jewry days. And I knew that he was one of the founders, but I forgot until now. Yeah, he was tremendous. Um, yeah, he was a real mentor to me and, and a real inspiration. Miss him a lot. Yeah. So how did it come about? How, where did the, you and Yuri are sitting having coffee and how did the whole, or, or, or something else, how did the whole concept of a Christian allies caucus come to start in the Israeli Knesset? It was actually very interesting. You know, I, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Rebecca, uh, had a friend who was a Christian who was volunteering in Israel and she was here without a visa. And uh, that's illegal in Israel, and she was caught doing that. And they told her she has 48 hours to leave, uh, which I thought was very harsh. You know, she had a family, she had rent, she had things to do. And I know she was here volunteering to help Jewish people. So I talked to Yuri Stern at the time, who was the chair of the Internal Affairs Committee. And I said, well, who are these uh, Bible-leaving Christians who are here trying to help us? Why do they have no one to turn to when they have problems? Maybe we should establish something in the Knesset. And he said that as a refusenik in the former Soviet Union, it was Christians who were smuggling in and out the information that they needed to help with the uh, free uh, the Jewish people movement. 
So I know that Christians really love Israel. Uh, they were doing this at the risk of their own life. A lot of them were caught and sent to the gulags. Um, but he said that it's very difficult to establish something like that in Israel. And the reason was, is there was a lot of doubts on all the political sides. So for example, uh, the religious were worried about working with Christians because of missionary activity. And the secular politicians were worried about working with Christians because they were big at separating church and state, that you know, religion has no uh, role in politics. Um, the, uh, uh, the right was worried about working with Christians because they thought it would pigeonhole them as too right wing, whereas the left didn't want to work with Christians because they thought it was uh, too conservative as well. It sounds so, like a blues but, song. Yeah, it was, it was actually <laughs> quite interesting. There, there were all these objections at the beginning but I said, why don't we try to figure out a way to, to make it work? Because it was Christians who were standing with Israel. Um, and we saw this in Israel. We knew that Christians were, were standing up with Israel. And so we, we took the idea of the caucus actually from the American system. There were no caucuses in Israel before this. There were only lobbies. And lobby groups are outside interest groups who put pressure right. on political leaders. Whereas caucuses are the political leaders themselves who come together to meet about a political issue. And, and our issue was how do we build bridges with Christians? And so once we established a caucus rather than a lobby, everyone felt really com uh, comfortable starting this new dialogue. Very interesting. So who, other than Yuri, who else was involved originally? Well, that's interesting. It's uh, some of the leaders that you see today. Um, there was a member of the Shas uh, movement who was involved, Yir Peretz, um, Gidon Sar, uh, Gilad Erdan, who's now the uh, UN ambassador to, for Israel, uh, Gila Gamliel. Um, there were people from all different parties, including Merritt's, uh, Ron Cohen. Merritt's um, being our the most left-wing uh, Israeli uh, social secular party. Yes, and, and we had Ron Cohen from that party. And we also had Bougie Herzog, Isaac Herzog, who's now the president of Israel as one of the founders. So it was eight members of parliament from, I believe, six political parties that came together to establish this caucus. And today, still, we are uh, the largest and most influential caucus in the Knesset. And our, our power is the fact that we have every major Zionist political party involved in the caucus. We have 20 members uh, from seven political parties, left, the right, religious, secular, that um, operate within the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. Have any Arab parties or Arab members of Knesset been involved? Um, we never had any Arab members, but we've had Jerusalem members uh, involved oh. in the caucus, like Hamid Amar. Um, but it's more about Jews and Christians coming together. Uh, so it's become more of a... Judeo-Christian uh, caucus within our Knesset. Yeah, so that, that makes sense. What resistance did you have at the outset? At the outset, there were a lot of people who were detractors saying that this isn't going to work, that uh, there's these old feelings, you know, of Christianity being anti-Semitic. There was worries about missionary activity and using this to try to uh, convert Jews to Christianity. Uh, but I think all of that was uh, put aside early on when they saw the success of what could happen when Jews and Christians work together uh, which is what we call faith-based diplomacy. It's when when people take their biblical support for Israel and turn it into real political act, action. And today, faith-based diplomacy is the most important weapon we have in our diplomatic arsenal. Ah, so it's interesting. Is it? I, I'm glad you said it the way you did, because when one thinks of diplomacy, one thinks of a Ministry of Foreign Affairs or in America, uh, the this Department of State, and and typically those are the government bodies that are. Um, leading diplomacy around the world, but you're a non-governmental organization, albeit that you have members of some, in some cases, members of the government, but members of the parliament. What's unique about that? And how do you coordinate or overlap or 
or fill in gaps that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs isn't able to do? Well, I mean, we're not an official uh, Israeli governmental uh, organization. We're a voluntary uh, organization of members of parliament here in uh, in Israel. And so we're able to do things that are not, you know, of official um, direct, you know, policy. We don't have to follow a lot of the guidelines of international uh, cooperation. And so what's happened is because it's so informal and it's just people who have the interest of working with one another, it's actually been boosted in in our ability to succeed. Have have you? I mean, uh, to the extent that you can say it, or or if there are any examples, but have people from the foreign ministry here said, "Hey, Josh, there are things we can't do. Can you step up and and, and try this, this, or that?" Well, our goal isn't to you know replace the foreign ministry and get involved in in you know official lines of of cooperation and, and communication that happens at the foreign ministry level. Uh, but what we're able to do is we're able to create a network. And that's what we did next. We established sister Good. caucuses in countries around the world. So today, we actually have 50 Israelized caucuses in 50 countries, including the Congressional Israelized Caucus, uh, the European Union Parliamentary Israelized Caucus. Uh, we have uh, 16 caucuses in Europe. We have the Canadian uh, Parliamentary Israelized Caucus. We have 12 in Latin America, 12 in Africa, three in Asia, Australia, Papua New Guinea. So we have about 1,200 legislators in our network, and they work as a network rather than, you know, one country directly with Israel. Uh, we see a lot of cooperation between all of our European uh, caucuses. Uh, we have see a lot of cooperation between all of our African caucuses, our Latin American caucuses, and also between them as well. So it's rather than just a, uh, you know, one-on-one Israel and another country, which is what, you know, you do at the government level, we're a network of Israel as caucuses around the world. I, I did, actually didn't know that. That's impressive. I, because that you, you now allow people, even if they're operating at, in the European Union or African Union or, or, or Latin America, where they have regional interests and common languages, you're also bringing people together then from all over the world to, if you will, share best practices and, and provide, um, wow, what's the English word? Chizuk, um, strength and, uh, reinforcement for one another. How does that yeah, play out? You know, that's the work of the Israelized Foundation that you mentioned at the beginning. I'm the president of the Israelized Foundation. And what we do is we coordinate the activities of our sister caucuses all over the world. And we give the education and information they need to make informed uh, decisions when it comes to Israel. Give us some examples of how, how that plays out. Well, for example, um, we were very much involved in Africa in um, Israel becoming uh, observer status in the African Union. And how it happened is there was a block of Christian nations, and through their caucuses, they spoke to their parliaments and uh, their heads of state to see how they can work with Israel. Uh, we also were involved in embassy moves, uh, became a faith-based initiative. So the uh, U.S. embassy move to Jerusalem was a demand of evangelical Christians from the Republican Party. And because uh, we're so well-coordinated there, and in Guatemala and in Honduras, we were able to move these movements that led into real diplomatic successes. Now, of course, we don't uh, deal with the actual um, implementation of this. We're not uh, uh, legislators ourselves, but we give the information to the legislators that are in our network, and they make informed opinions, and then they get these things done. Uh, I want to take a break in a minute, but but some of the countries or regions that you're speaking of are not democratic in the in the sense that we know in a Western uh, way. How 
how is that influenced then on a grassroots level? And I don't want to pick on any one particular country, but if there's not a democratic process the same way we have, how are you able to create the level of influence that that a country would understand, whether it's moving an embassy or voting for Israel to join the African Union or something of that nature, but without an actual voting process? Well, so all the caucuses that we have are actually in democracies. And so what happens is, is it's, a, it's a great cooperation of grassroots Christians getting involved in the political process, putting pressure on their pastors or Christian leadership uh, to put pressure on the political leadership to stand with Israel. So all of this happens at the grassroots level and then trickles up to the politicians who say they want to make a stand for Israel. Uh, so for us, uh, the democratic process is uh, essential in faith-based diplomacy. Amazing. Um, we're going to take a break and then come right back, and I want to pick up the conversation. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123 co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, so Josh, uh, I didn't, I, I knew that you're involved as internationally as you are, but I didn't really have a sense of the of the whole network and structure and and um, I've always been impressed with what you're doing, and now more so because because it's a um, it, it the network is woven together. It's not just a bunch of a la carte, and that's very impressive and it's very significant. Can you share some examples of perhaps how how uh, members of the caucus um, their the, the lo- local um, uh, caucuses in respective countries have helped or influenced people in other regions? It's interesting. The um, the caucuses are um, organized um, in their own parliaments, and every parliament has their own process for having caucuses. Some are more formal, some are informal. And but because they're organized, they're able to take on initiatives. And sometimes they're not even affiliated with the work of the Israelis Foundation. I'll give you an example. In Hungary, uh, they passed a law that made it illegal to deny the Holocaust. Now, this isn't one of our issues, but because it was multipartisan, their caucus there, and they came together on it, they said, we want to focus on this as well. Well, then our Italian caucus, like what was going on in the Hungarian, and they brought that legislation um, to pass in Italy. Um, and then if you look at as the Europe, a lot of our caucuses come together to fight for um, a, a defense against BDS, against anti-Semitism. Uh, they're trying to repeal the regulations in the EU that call for labeling of goods from Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem and the Golan Heights. So it, and when you have just one caucus, it's like a finger. But when the other caucuses come together, it's like a fist. 
And so by working together, it's been very successful uh, in a lot of different issues. That's amazing. Where, where surprises you the most that you're having uh, an impact? Well, what's really surprising about it is that we have a lot of impact in countries that don't have any um, Jewish populations. So, for example, we have a lot of success with our caucus in the Philippines, and the Philippines doesn't have an indigenous Jewish population. But because 20% of the Philippines is evangelical, we're able to mobilize and, and do things on behalf of Israel in the Philippines because that's the will of the people. Uh, we're seeing that in a lot of different places in Africa and Latin America, where it's really Christians who are carrying the torch and getting things done. And so we're seeing that faith-based diplomacy, because Christians are getting involved and not just staying on the sidelines, they're having a huge effect. So, but what's interesting, you just meant 20, you just said 20% of the Philippines is evangelical. Is most or all of the work that you're doing among evangelicals around the world? You're talking about Europe, for instance. Europe is not a um, big, big uh, population of evangelicals, mostly Catholic. How does that work? Well, I think that about 80% of our work is done with evangelical Christians because they're most excited about getting involved and supporting Israel. But we also work with Catholics, Anglicans, Presbyterians, uh, Orthodox in different countries. And so, for for example, in, in Italy, in our caucus, in the Senate, the chair is evangelical, uh, Luciano Milan, but all the members are Catholic. Um, and in other countries, we have not just um, evangelicals or Catholics, we also have people who are uh, atheists involved in the caucus who just wanted to get involved because of the good things that are going on. And we also, of course, in a lot of countries have Jewish people involved in the caucus. So, for example, the Congressional Israelized Caucus is chaired by uh, two Democrats who are Jewish and two Republicans who are Christian. Very nice. Now, it's interesting though you just mentioned uh, atheists because they want to get involved in good things that are going on. Does the faith resonate with them or it's just or, or, or it's just an add-on that's a good thing, but but supporting Israel in their parliament is uh, is something considered good. So uh, in most cases, um, the faith-based uh, aspect of it, which is unique to our uh, network, is something that inspires all people, uh, not just uh, Christians and Jews or people who believe in uh, Judeo-Christian values. And, and in a lot of cases, we have people who join because they see how effective it is. And they want to be effective when they speak out before uh, uh, for Israel. So we're seeing uh, uh, a lot of people get involved who you wouldn't expect in faith-based diplomacy. Are you seeing other faiths be involved, non-Judeo-Christian, non, non, um, I'll say biblical? Uh, is, 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 do you seeing anything like uh, that? Very small amounts, but we do. Yeah, we have a, a member, for example, in our Norwegian caucus who's Hindu, uh, who's involved in our caucus. Um, we have people from, from a couple other different faiths, but, but not because of their faith. I think the, what's unique is that the people who are Christian and Jewish are, are being involved more because of faith. You know, they see this as a faith issue, whereas other people may be of other religions, but they haven't joined because of their religion. When you spoke earlier about some of the challenges here, people having uh, uh, negative views of Christians and Christianity from historical perspectives, uh, missionary activity, um, that's probably even all the more so overseas. How do you how do you address that? Well, I, I think that we've come a long way. Um, a lot of people understand that Christian support for Israel is paramount. It's something that's part of their faith and that it's genuine. It's not a means to an end. And there's been a lot of trust that's been built on both sides. So what we're seeing actually is Jewish and Christian people coming together around the world in an unprecedented burst of activity. Uh, we're seeing it like never before. 
And you know, as as a Jewish person, uh, Jonathan and, and myself, uh, someone who believes in in the Torah or the Bible, uh, we know that this is foretold. This is part of the fulfillment of prophecy that the nations will come up to Jerusalem, that, uh, that God will send a heart to the nations, and they'll be carrying their uh, our children in their arms and, and and our sons on their backs back to the land of Israel. So we're seeing this incredible movement of Jews and Christians coming together around the world, uh, and this is really indicative of the new relationship between Jews and Christians in the 21st century, which is something very, very different than we've seen in the past. It is very different. And and despite that, though, and here in Israel, we still have a lot of people um, who are pushing back, who don't trust the motives. And and by the way, one of my observations, I don't speak about this so often, is I think one of the positive attributes that, that ends up damaging our work uh, among Christians and Jews together is the fact that we've built now almost 75 years this great, thriving Jewish culture so that so many Jewish Israelis have the privilege of not looking around around the rest of the world to see where support is coming from or care about it or or, or even be interested in Christian support for Israel. Are you confronting are you experiencing that? Are you confronting it? How does it how do you address such things specifically in the Knesset, but broad, broadly Israeli society? Well, Israeli society is very supportive of the work that we're doing for the most part. Uh, the vast majority of Israelis really appreciate the support we're getting from the Christian community, uh, and, and Israeli government has seen that as well. Uh, we're seeing maybe people against it from the fringes, but it's, it's very nominal. Um, so it's not really something that affects our work as it did at the beginning in 2004, Today, people understand that it's Christians, not countries, that are standing with Israel, and people are excited about it. Yeah, well said. Uh, last month, there was a really horrible incident with uh, a Christian cemetery being desecrated in Jerusalem. I spoke out about it, and we're doing something on a financial basis to help restore. How did how did that impact your work, and, and what did you end up doing? Look, there are a lot of uh, isolated instances like that. Um, I think more so there are Jewish cemeteries that are being defaced more than even Christian ones here. Um, we do have some conflict here in the region. This isn't, uh, you know, uh, a region without conflict. I think those instances are isolated. And I know that uh, as a free and just society, uh, this is something for the police to deal with and to find the people who did it and, and prosecute them. Yeah, unfortunately, they at least there were two arrests. I know I haven't followed closely to see about the prosecution. That takes a little bit of time, um, but you're right. The fortunate thing is that that's uh, very rare and certainly not indicative. But when it when such things happen, it's uh, it's quite shocking because that's not any any kind of value or behavior that any of us embrace. No, look, it's shocking just because we're such an open and free society here in Israel. So you don't expect to see things like that. But there's always you know, things like that that happen in every society. Um, and in fact, uh, unfortunately, uh, even though we're the Jewish state, and most is uh, in Israel most likely happens against the Jewish population <laughs> rather than the minority population. Right, good point. And and, and ironically, uh, particularly when certain uh, Christian populations are threatened here in Israel, not just Israel, in the Middle East in general, the uh, the same people who threaten Christians are the ones who are desecrating um, Jewish sites and and uh, th- and maybe perhaps another reason underscoring the importance of your w- work building the bridges and and emphasizing that not just locally but but uh, internationally. Yes, I mean uh, we're seeing that uh, that things get also 
um, in Israel put under a micro uh, magnifying glass. So we see a lot more of reaction to something that maybe in other places wouldn't even make make the news. That's a that's an excellent point, and and, and perhaps. Um, while there are many takeaways, that's certainly something that I know you must confront on a regular basis because people overseas don't understand the context and, and the, the news and they may hear something without uh, completely understanding. So it's amazing that you're able to be in that position. And um, it's not a matter of influence, but just a matter of right the, right the path and, and, and let people know really what's happening here. Yes, I think uh, one of the big uh, challenges is the disinformation coming about Israel. Um, for some reason, uh, you can say anti-Semitism, you can say biased, uh, you can say that people are against the Jewish state, but um, we have a lot of things said about Israel that are just, uh, you know, in fact, the opposite. For example, um, just last month, uh, the top insurance companies came out of a list of the safest countries for tourists. Right. And Israel was number five on the list. Um, and the reason we we're number five and not higher as, as the safest is because of car accidents. So when you talk to people, people will think of Israel as a dangerous place because what they see in the media, but actually we're the safest place uh, for tourists in the world. So we're getting a lot of distortion uh, from the international media, and it's important to speak out and tell the truth about Israel. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It's rare that I go to a church or a Christian conference of some sort, and I'm asked about my safety and and is it safe for them to come to Israel? And, and it's hard to explain how and why we really are and in fact feel so safe uh, here as we do. Uh, I, I know that's the case. Um, you, you didn't have your kids in America, but we imported five of them. And I feel that tremendously through raising my children here in Israel, but it's a great misperception about levels of safety and understanding that. And, uh, and But what I didn't know, I'm glad you shed light on that, was that one of the reasons that we're only number five is because of the rate of car accidents, which sadly is relatively high here, and that impacts all of us. Well, think about it like this. Uh, Jerusalem is the safest capital on the planet. Um, there was a, a luncheon between Nir Barkat, our mayor at the time of Jerusalem, and the mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, in 2016. And he said one of the biggest problems in Chicago is that they have a lot of murders. So they had about, I think it was 850 uh, at the time. And he said, well, Jerusalem's a smaller city than Chicago. How many do you have a year? 300, 350? <laughs> and the mayor of Jerusalem was in shock. He said, actually, this year was a very bad year, including terrorist attacks. We had six. Uh, <laughs> so you have to look at things in, in proportion. Um, yeah. It's infinitely safer here than, than most countries around the world. Uh, for those of you who have children here, um, we live in a, in a way that our kids are, are completely free. We're not scared of kidnappings. We don't have kidnappings here. Uh, we have a sense of community. Our neighbors watch out for our children. Yes. So our kids are, are able to go out. They have bikes, they have phones, and they just go out and they're on their own. Whereas, you know, I bring my children to the States uh, in the summer to see family. Uh, and we're always very worried because they don't have the defenses. We don't have those ideas that we grew up with in America, like don't talk to strangers or don't talk, take food from strangers or things like that. They, they, they do talk to strangers and they do take food from strangers. And, and it's sometimes, you know, unsettling when you're in another country because we don't have those type of things here. So yeah, it's, uh, that's just one example of the distortion, but Israel is a very, very safe country. Um, I was surprised we weren't number one on that list. Number one. Yeah. And the other, the other piece that complements that, of course, is Israel's always in the top 10 of whoever's ranking the happiest countries in the world. We're, we're always among the top 10 uh, following a couple of Scandinavian countries. And I'm not sure 
which other one, but but way ahead of most of the other Western democracies. And that's also astounding. Well, yeah, no, Israel is always one of the happiest countries because, first of all, we have a sense of community. And I think community is a very important part of that. People here know their neighbors. Uh, they know uh, what's going on uh, around the neighborhood. Um, also, we have, you know, a, a very spiritual society, a society that, you know, even if you're not religious, uh, you believe in in a lot of parts of the Bible, you see it, you walk the Bible on the streets. And then thirdly, we have the best weather in the world. So I think that also helps <laughs> when it comes to being happy, we can go out, a lot of people don't hang out in their own homes, they're, they're out and about all the time. So I think that also uh, gives a good effect. To it. That, is, that is true from almost anywhere in Israel, you're within an hour and a half drive of a beach somewhere. And uh, and even now, in the middle of the winter, I was uh, last week in Tel Aviv. It was gorgeous and sunny. And while I didn't go to the beach, there is something that is uh, that is uh, redemptive about that. It's really beautiful. Yeah, and also here it's uh, interesting. Even in the winter, when it rains and it's cold, people are saying thank God for that. You know, we're very yes. thankful that we have the rain. So I think it really doesn't matter what's going on. People are just thankful and happy to be in the land of Israel, in the land of the Bible. Well, I, I love that you just said that because in America growing up, well, we all had the, the, the childhood thing, rain, rain, go away. And here we pray for it. And we understand yeah, I, that when it does rain, it's a blessing. It's, it's really, really funny. Um, uh, last year I got caught in a rainstorm and I was at a, um, a stoplight and I was just getting rained on. And I was with two other people without umbrellas as well at the stoplight because it just kind of happened and everyone's getting drenched. And, and one of them looked at me and was just like, Thank God. And and what was funny is I was also thinking, thank God, because we really need the rain. You know, it's a it's a different idea. Um, and that and that's what comes from living in in, in a, a spiritual community where, where we're thankful for the blessings of God. Uh, and, and we we speak about it. It's not just in a, an internal uh, thing. It's, it's something that people talk about. It's embodied in our life. I love that you said that. I want to take another quick break, Josh, and then come back and pick up uh, some of the more the more challenging things that you that you're confronting. But let's just uh, hear this announcement. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with a Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival with the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace. In less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs. And living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, We also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish 
really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. And please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured. And there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Okay, so Josh, there was something you just said. I don't remember what it was before we took the break um, that that triggered the thought about, you know, there, there, are mis, there are many misconceptions about Israel. We were talking about safety Ooh. and safety for tourists. But there are a lot of there are a lot of um, uh, active libels that are are going around the world um, about Israel. Uh, Anti-Semitism has become anti-Zionism. Um, the whole BDS movement. The, recently, we've been and I don't know where this is going to continue to unfold. Um, not just our Arab uh, neighbors, but but even Western allies claiming that there are violations of, quote-unquote, the status quo in Jerusalem. Um, These are things that are misrepresented. I did some media recently on a couple of radio shows, and truly educated people don't know what's the fact. How are you dealing with these things on a day-to-day basis? Well, this is day-to-day work. You know, the the rise of anti-Semitism is not a surprise. Um, Anti-Semitism is a virus that spreads like wildfire. Uh, It's been around since the dawn of time. Uh, And really what it is, it's people coming out against uh, what God is doing. Um, Jewish people are seen as the chosen people, God's people. And so the rejection of the Jewish people is really the rejection of God. And what we're seeing now is this horrible movement of what they call anti-Zionism, which is really anti-Semitism. And what they've done is they've taken the anti-Semitic canards of the night of the 30s um, in Europe, and they just changed the word Jew to Israel. So in 1930s uh, Europe, for example, they said, don't buy uh, goods from Jews. Now they're saying, don't buy goods from Israel. They say, don't have Jewish um, professors in your universities or Jewish doctors in your hospitals. Now they're saying, don't have Israeli professors in your universities or Israeli um doctors in your hospital they talked about blood libel of us using christian blood in the 30s to make matzah on passover now they have this blood libel that we're attacking palestinian children it's the same anti-semitism just repackaged and what we've seen lately is that it's not just um them saying death to israel but they've actually reverted to saying death to the jews again and so they're not even trying to package it as anti-zionism they're just coming out and saying yeah we're 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 anti-semitic and this is happening all across the world, not just in Europe, um, but we're seeing this in, in America as well. And it's very startling to see um, how this has become so big. And of course, we have the BDS movement, a movement that calls to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel, the only free democracy in the Middle East. And its whole foundings is based on anti-Semitism and, and, and lies. But it's become a convenient way so that anti-Semites can come together and go against the Jewish people without having to admit they're anti-Semites. But but it is just classic anti-Semitism that we feel and see. And it's a big part of the work of the Israelites Foundation to identify this and combat this uh, around the world. So how, again, let, let's also talk like grassroots. Someone here listening may may never have heard of you before or the Israelites Foundation. Before we conclude, we're going to talk about how they can connect. But they're sitting in their community wherever they are. 
whether it's a, a kid on a university campus or in their own community where they're uh, seeing Jewish synagogues and other places being defaced. What, what are you able to do and bring to the whole international network that you have to help uh, to help address this? Well, we bring information and education to our legislators so that they can take uh, stands on these issues. Um, one of the things that we uh, were involved with from an educational point of view was anti-BDS legislation in America, which actually started as a church movement. It was churches who were getting together and dis- discussing why are people uh, boycotting the only Jewish state uh, in the world? And what they did is they started creating anti-BDS legislation that said that my state, if if you're a company that's involved in divesting or boycotting and sanctioning Israel, we won't do business with you. And that legislation spread to 33 states in America. And today, financial BDS is not an issue. It was one of the most um, terrifying issues for Israel after the uh, nuclear uh, Iran issue, uh, because they thought, oh, if if people were going to divest and boycott us, our our economy would fall. But today, if you want to boycott and divest Israel, you can't do business with 33 states in America. And that kind of stopped it. And that was Christians getting involved and pushing their state legislators to get involved with Uh, standing with Israel. So we're seeing a lot of success in grassroots Christians getting involved with these issues. Are other other countries um, passing anti-BDS legislation in addition to the 33 U.S. states? Yes, absolutely. Uh, We saw it in Guatemala that they uh, passed the legislation in the U.K. Um, There's in other countries in Europe, and now there's a movement to pass um, the uh, definition of IRA, the International Anti-Semitism, uh, that gives tools to combine uh, com- combat anti-Semitism, and it also lists in IRA that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. So we're seeing a movement of people and governments uh, getting involved with the fight against anti-Semitism at the legislative level. What's we, we're in a new year, and not that the I, I'm one who doesn't really think that the years typically make a difference. Twenty two is just a couple of days before twenty three, and in and in a few months it'll be twenty four, and and there are significant milestones. But being in the new year, what what would be your particular goals if you could looking now in February, if you could wave a wand, or what are you working toward that by the end of this year we're going to see new uh, new um, developments, new um, feathers, legitimately feathers in your cap um, as successes from the uh, Christian Allies Caucus. Well, the Israel Allies Foundation is and always foundation, on the Israel Allies Foundation is always on offense. We're never on defense. And our three main issues are the threat of a nuclear Iran. Um, I'm hopeful to see in 2023 um, other countries coming on board with the revolutionaries in Iran who are trying to overthrow the Ayatollahs um, who have just been a devastating dictatorship for the people of Iran. Uh, we hope to see more support for the people of Iran against the theocratic government of Iran. Uh, number two, the recognition of Jerusalem. Uh, we hope that more countries will move their embassies to Jerusalem, and we see that that's, that's going to happen. Uh, we've seen statements from Liberia, Malawi, uh, Zambia, Kenya, that they're considering moving their embassies to Jerusalem, and also countries like um, uh, uh, Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, uh, Hungary that are talking about it as well, Romania. So uh, we hope that more people recognize uh, uh, the fact that Israel is the undivided capital of it. Uh, of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the undivided capital of Israel. And then lastly, one of our big uh, fights is always against anti-Semitism, the BDS movement. Um, we're seeing a lot of that spreading, and we hope that people of faith will, will get involved in the fight against that as well. 
So those are the three main issues that we focus on uh, in the Israelites Foundation. We're seeing success on all fronts. How can somebody sitting listening in a country that you just mentioned that they that there are considerations of moving their embassy to Jerusalem, for instance? How can some an average person do something proactive to affect that right now? Well, there's many things that that Christians can do around the world to stand with Israel. Um, number one, uh, God calls on uh, the Christian community and the Jewish community to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, we believe in the power of prayer. Yeah, we believe that prayer works. And so when people pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it aligns themselves with what's happening with Jerusalem. Second thing they can do is come and visit Israel. It's important to see it for yourselves. As we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, there's a lot of misinformation about Israel, a lot of uh, lies about Israel. But when you come here, it all becomes clear. Uh, You can't say that Israel is an apartheid state uh, if you went into a supermarket in Israel, because the people shopping there are both Jews and Arabs, and the people working there are both Jews and Arabs. So we have free uh, freedom and rights for all of our citizens, no matter what their religion or denomination they may be. To see that for yourself is very important. And then lastly, people need to see what what they can do to to get involved, to get off the sidelines. So everyone has their own abilities uh, to, to make change. Some people are, are good writers, so write an article Very for nice. a newspaper, write a blog, uh, get involved in the uh, public diplomacy uh, area. Some people um, are more politically active. Talk to your congressman. Ask them uh, if they're involved in this and how they're getting involved. Talk to your government. But some people can do it just at, at the church level. You know, Have a Bible study about Israel. Talk to your pastor and ask him why he's not teaching more about God's promises in Israel and the fulfillment of prophecy in Israel. Um, everyone can do something. And the, and the worst thing you can do is do nothing. Um, you may think you're just one person and it's just a small thing, but one person can make a huge difference. Well, I, first of all, I love that. Thank you. And it is a shameless plug both for you and what you do, but for myself and the inspiration from Zion podcast, let's have people share this and ha- and hear exactly that message because everyone can and should be doing something and doing nothing is really uh, is really is not not acceptable if someone really has a heart and wants to to make an impact and everyone can so i love i love that message thank you um as we begin to wrap up josh uh 18 years it's a long time it's amazing um what have been your biggest successes what do you want the the world to know that you've done so so much that are the top three things if you will well, I think the, the, the big successes of faith-based diplomacy are, first of all, this new relationship between Jews and Christians, the fact that Jews and Christians are working together like never before, uh, that we see each other as allies, uh, and that we're working to get things done. I think the second thing is the recognition of Jerusalem. Uh, this was a faith-based initiative, and we're seeing it um, happen. We're seeing countries moving their embassies to Jerusalem, recognizing the uh, sovereignty of Israel in Jerusalem, and I think that is a, a big success of faith-based diplomacy. And then thirdly, there, there's a lot of legislations and resolutions and initiatives uh, when it comes to anti-Semitism, to the BDS movement, to inclusion of Israel that have been uh, came about because of faith-based diplomacy. If you look at uh, most of the success uh, that we've seen in the 21st century diplomatically, a lot of it has to do with Christians getting involved in the political process. Well said. Yeah, there's a, and, and that's uh, definitely definitely making a difference. And and I think Christians, I are waking up to see that they can and need to have that kind of influence in their own communities. And, and Israel's a big piece of that. That's excellent. Um, where, where Josh can people follow to get resources and follow what you're doing? Well, there's a lot of ways to get involved. Uh, you can go to our website at israelallies.org and you can sign up for our newsletter. You can hear about what we're doing um, on a monthly basis. 
Uh, you can go on Facebook, uh, Israel Allies Foundation or Knesset Christian Allies. Um, and we have every day a daily post about what's the newest thing that's happening. And as you mentioned at the beginning, I have a TV show on Daystar called Israel Now News. Um, you can watch it on Daystar or on YouTube. Um, and we give the real news about Israel. I interview someone every week uh, who's a decision maker in Israel or has impact in Israel. Um, so there's a lot of uh, ways to get involved and, and to see what we're doing and to plug into our network. Amazing. Great. What We've covered a wide range of things. And, and there's a lot of we've done, I think, a lot of uh, breadth, but not not a lot of depth. If someone wants more information, I want the, to encourage them to reach out where you just said. But what what are the also another thing, Jonathan, I can yeah. say is that if people want to know more about faith based diplomacy and you mentioned this before, I wrote a book called Titus Trump and the Triumph of Israel, the power of faith based diplomacy. And what I do in the book is I go to the origins of faith-based diplomacy. Where does it come from? And then I talk about how it's happening now. And then I go into what is the future of faith-based diplomacy. So you can go onto Amazon and, and just plug in uh, Titus Trump and the Triumph of Israel and find the book. I think right. that will give everyone a very good understanding of what's happening in faith-based diplomacy today. You want to give us a, a teaser and tell us what's the origin of faith-based diplomacy if it wasn't Josh Reinstein in the Knesset in 2004? Well, faith-based diplomacy goes way back before uh, the birth of Josh Reinstein or Prime Minister Netanyahu was a pioneer in, in faith-based diplomacy. Uh, Christians were involved in the founding of the state of Israel. You can go back to uh, William Heschler, who, who worked with Theodore Herzl, um, uh, Lord Balfour, who did the Balfour Declaration, uh, General Allenby. Um, and also just if as an American, um, America is the only other country other than Israel that was founded on Judeo-Christian values. Right. A lot of people don't know that history. There was a debate at the founding of America if the official language should be English or Hebrew. Uh, and I go into those things as well and try to look at the history of where this all comes from. Uh, but I start at the time of Titus. Uh, and that's why it's called Titus Trump, the Triumph of Israel. Uh, uh, when right. Titus uh, kicked out the Jewish people and destroyed the, the temple, they thought uh, that that was the end of the Jewish people. They thought that that was the victory of the Roman Empire over the God of Israel. But people who know the Bible and read the Bible realize that that wasn't true at all. In fact, that was the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Bible, that we would be kicked out of the land, but one day would be regathered in the land of Israel. And so these ideas are, are ancient and go back to the beginnings of the Jewish people. Um, and, and that's why it's so exciting to see how, how, how God is unfolding these things through the last 2000 years. And I tried to go into the history of that as well. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to get myself a copy and, and enjoy reading and I will look, encourage everyone else to do so. I think that sounds, that's amazing and, and, uh, and great then that you are the modern successor of all of this and, um, and helping other people to, to get to that place that this is not something that's just, uh, uh, a hobby of yours, but you're, you're, uh, infecting is a bad word, but, um, I'll, I'll go with it, infecting other people with the, with the ability and understanding that they can make a difference. And, and now you've got this tremendous track record, um, of almost two decades that, um, that is, that's making a positive impact around the world. Yeah, it's really unbelievable to see how God is moving here in the land. I'm just honored to be a part of this movement. Yeah. Uh, but it's exciting to see more and more people get involved. What What's the last message? What have we uh, not discussed today or not discussed in depth that you want to leave our, our listeners with an understanding on faith-based diplomacy? 
I think it's important, uh, and and we we did touch on this, but I think if we were going to give a last message, it's important to say it, it's it's that Christians need to get involved with the political process. It's not enough just to to pray without acting. Uh, our tourism ministry has a great uh, slogan. They say, "If you like the book, you'll love the country." And I think <laughs> people who come here understand that. You know, Israel. The Bible is not just a storybook. It's it's not just our past. It's also our future. And by coming here and reading the Bible and, and learning about Israel and seeing what God's doing in Israel, which is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, people will not just encourage their own faith and, and explore their own faith, but it will give them the, the ammunition to get involved with the fight because the battle for Jerusalem is not uh, ended. It's an ongoing battle that everyone needs to take up and get involved in. Uh, Anti-Semitism isn't going away. In fact, it's growing. Uh, the threat of Iran is something that's real. There's a country that wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. So the annihilation of the Jewish people is still being discussed today. Uh, and, and everyone of, of good faith needs to get involved. Josh, I always love being in the room with you when you're speaking. I come away with so much. And we're now in a virtual room. But uh, but I'm no less inspired. And I'm so grateful for you coming on to uh, inspiration from Zion today and sharing. And I hope that, that this message will, con- that this will be a platform for you and your message to continue to go out as you've so articulately and inspiringly uh, shared today. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. It's always good to be together and uh, I have a lot of respect for the work you're doing. You're one of the leaders in, in faith-based diplomacy in your own right. And it's great to see what you're doing uh, around the world, mobilizing people for uh, to to stand with Israel, to learn more about Israel, and to get involved. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, thank you. As we wrap up, you know, if you've been following Inspiration from Zion for the last year, we always have a a gift to give uh, at the end of every episode. And all we ask you is follow and like Inspiration from Zion on our social media and share this. And when you do that, when you share this program every month. We give a new volume, what I call From Jonathan's Bookshelf. This month, uh, maybe we'll do one of uh, Josh's book another month, but this month, because our last episode was uh, about the discovering the city of David, we are giving away a free copy of an incredible book about the city of David called Discovering the City of David. So just go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and follow and like and share the, uh, this episode with others who will be following. I always want to acknowledge our sponsors. First of all, the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area, please stop in and thank them for helping make conversations like this possible. And also special thanks to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider to help continue the dialogue and be, and building bridges uh, in, in order to make us give us the resources to be able to do that. And we always give people the opportunity to sponsor an episode in memory or honor of a loved one or a special occasion. And truth is, until a few moments ago, um, this episode was not really sponsored by or in honor or memory of anyone else. But speaking about our mutual friend, Yuri Stern, um, albeit um, sadly in his memory, Josh, it's, it's meaningful to me that we perpetuate his memory and as a visionary in what you're doing, and I'm I'm honored to to make this episode in his memory as well. We always love to continue uh, to this as part of a dialogue, and invite you to send any questions that you have as well, especially questions about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this conversation with others who will also find it of interest, and continue to join us right here 
on Inspiration from Zion, where you'll hear more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah, al-Mashiach, al-Mashiach, al